Many Christians struggle to answer the question why they believe Christianity is true. But what if there's a podcast dedicated to answering the toughest objections to the Christian worldview? That is the purpose of the Daily Apologist podcast. I'm your host, Dean Meadows, and today I talk about the most crushing loss I've ever experienced and how apologetics helped me cope and grieve. Hey everybody, it's Dean Meadows. Glad that you are here listening on the show. So let's just get right into it. Back in November of 2019, my wife and I learned that we were going to have another child. And obviously, whenever you uh, experience that, there are a bunch of emotions and thoughts that run through your head. You say, hey, uh, what are we going to name the kid? Is the the kid a a boy or a girl? Um, How is this child going to impact the rest of our family? How is this child going to impact the world? I mean, who is this person going to develop into? And and really, the ultimate question you ask is, how is this child, this addition to our family, going to impact the kingdom of God, at least from a, a Christian worldview? And so as we run through all these uh, scenarios and we, and we dream big dreams and we think big things about the child that's to come, one of the things that we never expect and one scenario that we never run through our mind is what what if I never hold that child in my arms? Um, what if what if that bundle of joy never actually arrives? And on February thirteenth of this year, it'll always be a crushing day in my life. It's the day that that Hillary and I, Hillary being my wife, uh, we lost our unborn child, uh, Shiloh Meadows, and so. That's a whole different animal from going uh, from from the emotional and expecta- and the joyous expectation of what's to come nine months down the road to, oh my goodness, I'm never going to see my child. I'm never going to look my child in the face. I'm never going to watch my kid grow up. I'm never going to watch my kid uh, start uh, a family. I'm never going to watch my kid go off to college. And so... As the weight and the magnitude of that loss starts to set in, you begin to ask a lot of why questions. Uh, why and what questions. You ask the question in general, why? You ask why us? You know, hey, why do we have to go through this? Um, what did we do wrong? Uh, what could we have done to prevent this? And and the crazy thing about that is that no matter how many why questions you ask or how many what questions you ask, this side of eternity, we're never going to get those answers. Um, and that points, and that you know, takes me to another perspective. Not that I'm saying that this perspective is justified, but I can understand how people who experience a devastating life gut punch get to the point where they're willing to walk away not saying they should not saying it's justified but i see how that can happen and the thing is i still believe that christianity is true i you know i believe you know despite um this pain in my soul um despite the shallow sized hole in my heart that i'm always going to have i still believe that christianity is true and here's why because the evidence for Christianity far outweighs the um, unexplained tragedy that my wife and I have experienced. 
And that really compartmentalizes into three main points. One, the first point is, I still believe that God exists. And even in the car on the way on the way home, I found myself anchoring myself on what's called the Kalam cosmological argument that says, um, <clears throat> whatever begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist. Therefore, the universe has a cause. And so when we look at that first premise of the Kalam, we see that uh, that's built on the idea that, that something doesn't come from nothing um, and that things don't create themselves. And so if the, the earth, the, the earth uh, and the planets and the universe is a thing, therefore it wouldn't create itself, right? So it must have a cause. And that's where you get the evidence for the universe having a beginning. Things like Einstein's theory of general relativity being confirmed by Friedman and Lemaitre and Hubble. And then later down the line, you've got Borg, Guth, and Vilenkin who confirm that any universe that's been expanding throughout its history must have a beginning. Even uh, Alexander Vilenkin, who's agnostic, says that cosmologists can't hide. They have to deal with the problem of a cosmic beginning, which leads to your third premise, that there must be a cause. And so then once you start to examine the nature of the cause, um, we know that the universe is made of time, space, and matter. Therefore, the cause has to be timeless, spaceless, and immaterial. Um, there, are no, there, there are no initial conditions or uh, physical laws um, before the beginning of the universe. So it can't be a scientific explanation. The only other explanation could be a, a personal explanation. So that the creator of the universe, the cause of the universe, is timeless, spaceless, immaterial, personal, and obviously powerful to create a universe um, ex nihilo, right? So that's the Kalam cosmological argument that establishes that God is the best candidate for the beginning of the universe. So that's point one. Um, and then the second point that I find myself leaning on and the second point that I found myself leaning on even in the car ride from the hospital after we got discharged is the, is the facts regarding um, the resurrection of Jesus. And those facts are one that Jesus died by crucifixion two after Jesus' death, the disciples believed that they saw the risen Jesus. They had an experience in which they believed they saw the risen Jesus and three would be Paul's conversion um, just about every historian on the face of the planet, except for maybe five to seven mythicists, believe that Jesus died on the cross. And that's important because you can't have a resurrection without a dead body. And so it's clearly, clearly that Jesus died. And so then you move to the second fact that we talked about is the disciples who believed that they saw Jesus raised from the dead. And so, how do you explain that? How do you explain those appearances? And one of the ways that people try to explain away those appearances is the idea of mass hallucinations. Well, the problem with that is that in the same way that people don't share dreams, people don't share hallucinations. If I were asleep and I was dreaming that I was in the Bahamas, I couldn't wake up and tap my wife on the shoulder and say, hey, I'm having this awesome dream about being in the Bahamas. Why don't you come join me? 
Uh, so if I can't do that with a dream, I can't do that with a hallucination. And so what's interesting is that when you look specifically in the text of the New Testament, you see that the appearances that the disciples had, these were appearances in different um, uh, times. Some uh, you know, were early in the morning. Some were late at night. Um, you, you see that they were in different groups. You have Jesus appearing to two disciples on the road to Emmaus. You have Jesus appearing to a group of disciples uh, in the morning. He's on the shore cooking fish. You have the, the famous scene of Thomas and the disciples where Thomas says, you know, if I don't see the, the, the scars or the, the wounds of Jesus, I won't believe. Um, you see a, a multitude of these. So, so these appearances are at different times, different places, and Jesus himself, along with the disciples, are they're doing different things. So think about this. If, if the result is um, they all had a mass hallucination, they had to hallucinate at the same time, and they all had to see the same thing. Well, that's statistically ask uh, anybody who studies the field of hallucinations. That's statistically impossible. So the best explanation seems to be not a hallucination, a mass hallucination. The best explanation seems to be that they actually saw the risen Jesus. And then you look at Paul. Oftentimes we'll we'll chat with people and uh, the atheist will say or the skeptic will say, uh, give me somebody that Jesus appeared to who is an enemy. Well, great. I've got Paul. And Paul says that he, Jesus, appeared to him. And how else do you explain um, Paul's willingness to move from being a zealous Jew who was persecuting Christianity to someone who was uh, zealous for the truth of Christianity? Seems to me the only thing that can best explain that is uh, an appearance that he talks about with the risen Jesus. And so that's point two. One, that God exists through the Kalam cosmological argument to the evidence for the resurrection that we see in Scripture that can't be explained away by mass hallucinations. And then three would just be the character that is depicted in the Bible um, with regards to Jesus. Um, I, I think of the, the, the Hebrew Scripture that, that talks about Jesus uh, for the joy that was set before him. He endured uh, the cross. How scripture talks about Jesus, um, you know, being familiar and being tempted in every way that we've been tempted. Um, and Jesus knows what it's like to endure hardship for the foxes have holes, the birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Uh, we see that Jesus' family thought he was crazy. And and in the moment, also, as you look at the passion narratives in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see that in the moment where Jesus probably needed his friends closest, they're the ones that, that scatter. Uh, we see him endure uh, a painful loss in Lazarus. It says that when he got there, um, you know, and greeted uh, Lazarus's sisters, it says that he wept. And so one of the things that comforts me is, is not just the apologetics aspect 
uh, with regards to the Kalam and the resurrection, but the character that's seen in Jesus and knowing that the same Jesus um, that healed the blind, the same Jesus that, um, you know, turned water into wine, the same Jesus that wept there at the grave was the same one that endured the cross so that many sons and daughters might be brought to glory and that he knows my pain. And that gives me comfort. That gives me comfort. And and I just want to make it clear that I don't believe these things merely because Shiloh's gone and I desperately have to or need to believe these things in order to make sure that that I just don't break down and go crazy. I I believe them because they're true. The Kalam argument is true. The evidence for the resurrection is true. The character seen in Scripture truly depicts who Jesus is. And and so this statement is true. It's the same similar statement that, that David made in the loss of his child. Uh, Shiloh cannot come to me, but I can go to Shiloh. And I long for that heavenly meeting. And so these are the types of things that when we go through pain and suffering that we can't explain, these are the types of things that you and I must anchor ourselves in um, so that we can not just make sense or try to make sense of what's going on, but when I anchor myself in these things, I actually find myself drawing closer to God. And the closer I get to God, the closer I get to that peace that surpasses all understanding. And that's what we're after in the times of struggle and the times of pain that we experience in life. And now I'm only speaking for myself when I say this next piece, but if it weren't for the apologetics training that I've received, I don't know where I would be. Um, obviously, no one ever dreamed that they'd experience something like this, but I don't know where I would be. Um, and so I'm grateful for that training. And that's why I think apologetics training in general, for you who are listening uh, out there, that apologetics training isn't just about the accumulation of arguments for the existence of God. It's the accumulation of knowledge about God and about the Christian worldview that deepens our relationship with God. And in deepening our relationship with God, we draw closer to Him. He molds us into who He wants us to be. And so when times like this happen, we know exactly who to turn to and what to do. And so I just want to take this opportunity as we close the show to thank everybody um, who has ever reached out to us in the last uh, month with regards to this tragedy. We're so appreciative of that. Um, words will never <laughs> will never uh, do justice for what you guys have, have done for us. So that's how apologetics has helped me grieve uh, the greatest loss that I've ever experienced. And bef- before um, I leave, just want to say, hey, between now and the next podcast, go ahead and, and check everything out at thedailyapologist.com. Check us out on social media. It's just The Daily Apologist all the way through for all of these. We're on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest. Even do uh, put videos up on YouTube now, so check those out. Also, um, if you're not a member uh, of our email list. If you haven't subscribed to our email list, go ahead and do that. You can do that at, at the website or 
just go ahead and Facebook message us on our Facebook page, The Daily Apologist, and we'll add you to that subscription list. What that does, that simply sends you out an email at the end of each month letting you know what we are up to. So this is Dean Meadows for The Daily Apologist podcast, signing off. Remember, equip yourself to engage culture. <laughs>